Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. It is wonderful to have you here with us on this Easter Sunday morning. Throughout the month of April, we have been working on a series called The Final Hours. We're going to conclude that series next Sunday. Some exciting things that we pull from the scriptural narrative as we look about the final hours before his return. And so I want to invite you to come and join us. If you'd like to hear any of these messages from this series, you can find those on our website, silvercreekchurch.org. And you know, this morning, I, I don't do this, um, but I really want to greet those that are, that are actually part of our online church. And you say, come on, Kevin, let's be, let's be serious about this. No, I, I want to greet Greg and Carrie. Greg and Carrie Lipple are part of Silver Creek Church, only they don't live above the bridge. They live below the bridge. And they connected with our church when they lived here. And I want to tell you something that I, I just I feel they're a part of this church as much as anybody else. And so I want to greet them this morning on this Easter Sunday morning when they will probably be watching it this week sometime or maybe even next Sunday. Just want to tell them how much we love them and care for them. So today we're going to look at the final hours while Jesus was in the tomb. So what do we know? You might think this is a little bit different this morning, but I, I really think that we need to establish a few things. The first thing that we're going to establish was indeed that Jesus was dead. You say that's a, a weird way of starting Easter Sunday, the message, but let me ask you a question. Why do we need to establish that Jesus was actually dead following the crucifixion? Well, I'll tell you why. There are a lot of different theories about the resurrection. And most of those theories do not believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so as we look at those theories, one of them is called the swoon theory, and it actually purports that Jesus wasn't actually all dead. He just fainted. Let's look at Mark chapter 15, beginning at verse number 42. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen, bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So we all know that Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, but then we have the Jewish Sabbath, which would be on Saturday. A follower of Jesus went to Pilate and asked for permission to remove Jesus' body from the cross. 
Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. And you might say, well, what's the big deal? Why was he so surprised? Well, historically, we've learned that there are instances on record of people that have survived for nine days while hanging on the cross. But the Jews couldn't have this because the Passover was coming and that would not be appropriate. And so they needed these bodies to, uh, these, these criminals to actually die and to be removed from the crosses before Passover came. Well, Pilate was somebody that was politically very savvy as a government official and he didn't just take their word for it. He didn't just believe that, okay, you say that Jesus has died. I believe you. Go ahead. You can take his body. He summoned the centurion that was overseeing Jesus' crucifixion. And he asks the centurion, is Jesus dead? Can you confirm that? Now, the centurion knew that Jesus had received 39 lashes with the flagrum. He knew that Jesus had lost a great deal of blood. He would have known that there were things that are happening in the human body that we now call hypovolemic shock, which causes low blood pressure. That when when the body loses so much blood, the the heart begins to race in order to pump blood that's not there. And when that begins to happen, there is a buildup of fluid that takes place in the sac around the heart and around the lungs. He would have understood that. And when that centurion in John 19, 34 pierced Jesus' side, he saw the blood and the water that flowed, giving him physical proof of Jesus' death. Now, the Department of Forensic Medicine in Sydney, Australia they decided to do a study. And it was a retrospective study. They reviewed cases that happened over a six-month period of time, and and it covered uh, a death of 429 people, and all of these deaths were considered natural deaths. Now, it's their normal case to do autopsies on every death, and so the study was done blinded to the autopsy results. And the presumed cause of death in these 429 cases, 28% of the time were completely inaccurate. So even medical examiners get the cause of death wrong, but there is one thing that those medical examiners were absolutely certain of, and that is that the people that they were examining were dead. The centurion was absolutely certain that Jesus was dead because crucifixion is 100% effective. The Roman centurion was extremely familiar with death and he was able, under the penalty of of possibly his own death, he was able to confirm to Pilate that indeed Jesus was dead. In the second century, there's a Greek author called Lucian and he confirmed himself that Jesus was dead crucified. In fact, there's no historical evidence to indicate that anyone who has ever survived 
crucifixion. All of this leads us to the important conclusion that Jesus actually did die on the cross. Secondly, we need to establish that Jesus was buried. That next important thing. Say, why is it important for us to know that Jesus was buried? Well, we're going to take a look at it. You see, another one of those theories that existed was called the stolen body theory. And they, that theory believed that Jesus died, but his disciples had taken Jesus' body right out from underneath the noses of the Roman soldiers. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. It says, beginning in verse 62, the next day, the one after preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. These chief priests and Pharisees, they were concerned because Jesus told them that he would rise again. So they go to Pilate to ensure that Jesus' dead body will remain in the tomb. They thought that if his body was stolen, that the situation for them politically would get even worse. Now I want you to imagine for a moment the 11 disciples trying to sneak into that cemetery and under the cover of darkness attempting to roll a very large flat stone away from the tomb with the detachment of Roman soldiers guarding it who if they failed would pay with their life. So there's, there's no way that all of these guys would have been in a sound sleep. But I, have you ever seen an Easter production, that large flat stone? You know what I'm talking about? That large disc-shaped stone that's made out of styrofoam? One time in a, in a play that I was in, the stone rolled away prematurely, and that caused a, a, a bit of a, a difficulty there. But every Easter play I've ever been in or seen has that large, round stone. Could you imagine if someone who didn't know what they were doing tried to move that? What if that thing fell on you? That would not be good. There's a study that I came across this week that did a study of 900 tombs in and around the Jerusalem area during the first century. And that study indicated that out of 900 tombs, only four of them had that round disc-shaped stone in front of them. 99.5% of the rest of them had a stone that, it's not that it wasn't round, but it was more like a round cork. And that cork would be slid into the opening in that grave and was obviously extremely difficult to move. Jesus' tomb was borrowed. It had never been used. 
It was owned by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was not a wealthy man, so it's not difficult for us to assume that the stone that was in front of the tomb of Jesus was one of those that was cork-shaped and would have been incredibly heavy, incredibly difficult to move, and momentum would not have played a role in moving it. Peter Kreft, a popular writer in Christian philosophy and theology and apologetics, says the story the Jewish authorities spread that the guards fell asleep and the disciples stole the body is unbelievable. Roman guards would not have fallen asleep on a job like that. If they did, they would lose their lives. I did a little research this week on the idea of a seal that was placed on the tomb. And a seal that would have been placed on this tomb would have been a mixture of clay and would have really, after it dried, it would have been kind of like cement, which would not just help to secure it, but really it would have told people, has anyone broken into the tomb? It would have been able to tell authorities that the body had been tampered with possibly. So while the mixture was still wet, the insignia of the local authority would have been impressed into that, uh, that, that mixture so that once it was dried and then if it was broken, there's no way that that could be duplicated. So there's no way that anyone could mislead the authorities. So on the authority of the, the Roman government with the seal of the governor, we can establish that Jesus was indeed buried. Next, we need to look at this, that Jesus, though his body was buried, his spirit remained alive. The Apostle Paul tells us this, and I, I speak this at, at every funeral that I'm a part of, and it's this, that Paul says, I would rather be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, when we leave this body, our spirit goes home to be with the Lord. Hebrews tells us that it's appointed for each of us a time that we will die and after that we stand before God. In the New Testament, Jesus in the Gospels tells the story of a beggar named Lazarus who laid at the gate of a rich man hoping for some scraps to eat from his table but received nothing. Both of them died. The rich man was taken to Hades to experience torment and Lazarus was taken to what is called Abraham's side or in the King James it's called Abraham's bosom or paradise. Remember Jesus' own words on the cross when he was speaking to the thief that was hanging next to him when he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's my point, that the death of our physical bodies is not the end of things, but in fact our spirit lives on. The Apostle Peter in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. When we look at that phrase there, alive in the spirits, most biblical scholars believe that the correct 
uh, the correct writing of that would be alive in spirit. We must remember that Jesus was fully God and fully man, yet he laid aside the benefit of his deity to live and be a man. The scripture says that he became obedient even to the death and the death on the cross. Jesus willingly submitted himself to the conditions of humanity. His body died, but his spirit, just like yours and mine, continued to live after he died. So as Jesus hung on the cross, Matthew says that Jesus gave up his spirit to God. Jesus' body was in the grave, but his spirit was not in the grave. During that time, Jesus' spirit was doing something else. Peter said he's making proclamation to imprison spirits. Now, we're not told who those spirits are. But we know this, that Jesus came to give you and I abundant life. And so I am convinced that he was not condemning them. But I do believe that he was proclaiming to them that he has won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says this, that he, meaning Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. John, the beloved, says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18 of Jesus, I was dead, and, I, and see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Many biblical scholars agree that in order to do the work that Jesus needed to do, that he had to die so that he could be freed from his earthly flesh so that his spirit could win the victory. In Psalm chapter 68, the psalmist says in verse 18, when you ascended on high, you took many captives. Jesus' body was dead, but his spirit was alive, and it emerged victorious over death. Finally, we come to Easter Sunday morning. Everything else has really been happening up until and before that, but now Easter Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the grave. In Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1, it says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered it, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down, with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Jesus died. He died on the cross. Confirmed by the Roman government. His body was sealed in the tomb. Confirmed by the Roman government. Jesus, while in that tomb in body, his spirit won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. And he emerged victorious and he is alive. Amen? Amen. Imagine the excitement of these ladies. 
Imagine how excited they were. I'm not even sure they, they believed what they saw. But these women, they ran back to the disciples and they said, man, we, we can't believe. And the disciples say, we can't believe you either. So we're going to go check it out for ourselves. And Peter and John run. They run to the tomb and they look in and they see his grave clothes. They can't believe it. And in, in just absolute wonderment, they finally, they, they leave the area of the tomb and, and Mary is kind of standing there waiting, not sure what to do. And she thinks that she sees the gardener. And what she says to the gardener really reveals what she was thinking in her heart. She says to the gardener, Sir, they have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. Did you get that? How do you put somebody somewhere? How do you do that? What does that mean? They put him. I believe that she was still thinking of Jesus as being dead. They were still, she was still thinking, even after the angels have said, he is not here, he is alive, she thought of him as still being dead. Where have you put him? Tell me so that I can go and I can take him. She still thought that he was dead. Even though the angels have told her she cannot conceive that Jesus has risen to life. Even the disciples, they cannot believe it. They're behind locked doors. And so Jesus then appears to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 3. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That phrase, convincing proofs, means evidence that will stand up in court. You see, many felt that the disciples had conspired. They had conspired of a plan, conspired of a plot that Jesus' resurrection was something that they would fake, somehow that they would make it look like it had happened. Dr. Peter Kreft says this, there would be no possible motive for such a lie. Lies are always told for the self, some selfish advantage. What advantage did the conspirators derive from their lie? They were hated, scorned, persecuted, excommunicated, imprisoned, tortured, exiled, crucified, boiled alive, roasted, beheaded, disemboweled, and fed to the lions. Those are hardly a catalog of perks. So history confirms to us that Jesus died. He was placed in a tomb. And if we believe God's word, we know that Jesus has defeated the final enemy of death. And so today, April 21st, 2019, we still celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to think of that. Over two thousand years have gone by we still celebrate the resurrection there are only two options the resurrection is a simple truth or it is the greatest hoax 
ever perpetrated on mankind. So what will you do with the knowledge of his final hours in the tomb? Will you accept it as a truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has won the victory over death, hell, and the grave, that he has emerged victoriously? Or will you reject it, believing that the resurrection never really happened? The choice is yours. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we close our service this Easter Sunday morning. There is a truth that I desire to communicate to you more than anything else, and that is simply this, that Jesus is alive. This morning, you may have never been faced with that statement before. No one may have told you that. I'm glad to be the first if that is the case. But I want you to know that knowing that Jesus is alive is different than putting our trust in him to forgive us our sin. Understanding that Jesus has won the victory over death, hell, and the grave is different than taking advantage of that fact. And so this morning, on Easter Sunday morning, April 21st, 2019, it can be a day when for the first time you have put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What a great day to trust in Jesus. What a day, a great day to acknowledge that Jesus died for you. What a great day to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to close our service in prayer and if if you say pastor, you know what? I would I would love to have that personal relationship with Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I believe that he rose again on the third day. I want to pray for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, just a quiet moment between you and the Lord. If that's you this morning, would you just slip your hand up so that I can know who I'm praying for and praying with this morning? You say, Pastor, I want to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior today. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I'll only wait a moment. Yes. I see it. Yes. I'm going to invite us all across this place, out in the hub, and all over. Just stand with me. Would you do that? We're going to pray together. We're going to close and worship uh, for just a moment. But I want us to pray together. Maybe you have served the Lord for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. We're all still going to pray together this morning and commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you were crucified on the cross, not for your own sin, but for mine. I believe that they buried you. And on the third day, you emerged victorious over sin and death. I thank you that today I proclaim that I believe in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. 
In Jesus' name, amen.